This concept of a doula is not new, right? Like, <laughs> the Greek word might be new, yeah. the organizations might be new, but like our community filled in the spaces that we needed. Hola, hello, bienvenido, and welcome to the Clear Birth Podcast. For my returning listeners, welcome back. And for my new listeners, I'm your host, Annette Morel. Welcome to my podcast. Today, I decided to do something a little different. I'll be having my first ever roundtable talk with my favorite birth doulas to talk about the state of doula work during COVID in New York City. I really hope you enjoy the show as much as we enjoyed having our conversation. So we're just going to start with everyone introducing themselves. And Emily, do you want to go first? Sure. Greetings. Uh, my name is Emily Rodriguez. I am a traditional birth and postpartum doula. Um, with a company called Ashe Birthing Services, uh, which I started five years ago. Thank you. Valencia? Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Valencia Andrews, and I'm a birth and postpartum doula and a sense encapsulator. What's my company? Doula Valencia. That's about <laughs> it. Um, and yeah, this is my fourth year. Oh, okay. Maisha? Hi. Thanks for having me on the call. My name is Aisha Kramer. I'm a birth and postpartum doula and I do childbirth ed and I do breastfeeding and all those things. I'm M-A-I-D-O-U-L-A dot com as well as thechildbearingcleared.com. Thank you, ladies. I wanted to have everyone here today because everyone's been having these great conversations in different forums about uh, doula work. And I think it was Maisha, you posted a question on the Metro Doula group about who's going into hospitals and what we really need to think about. That got me thinking that you need to have this conversation on a broader scale. And I just wanted to bring everyone together so we could kind of just talk about that. So, Maisha, do you want to kind of expound a little bit on that question that you first posed on MDG? About who's in hospitals and who's not? Yes. Well, it wasn't... And why why you wanted to do that? Why did you ask Well, I think because so few of us are heading into hospitals, those that do take all the birth. And then I know that there's some people who are heading into hospitals not because they feel safe, but because they have to pay bills and they really don't feel safe and they really are at risk and it's really horrible. And, you know, we all are independent contractors and we can't tell everyone how to practice, but it would just be helpful if we did all agree to not head in person to support those that can't. And also to support those that are heading in with a lot of risks who don't feel safe. You know, I'm not going to call out names, but I have a friend who is heading in and she has kids and she has a kid who is high risk. So, like, very high risk. So it's just horrible. You know, I just think it's kind of horrible that she feels she has to make this choice now. You know? Emily, do you want to add to that? About whether or not I'm going in? Um, whether or not you're going in, what are your thoughts around the question that Maisha had posed or just what she's saying about that? Yeah, I think that 
it's layered, right? Like, yes. um, for us, like I, I'm partnering with Myla Flores right now and, um, we haven't been going in, um, to limit our exposure, um, for everyone because we work with such a vulnerable population. Um, I'm also a birth assistant for home birth. And so, um, you know, we're taking all the necessary precautions that we can. And one of those is, is not going into hospitals at this time. Um, you know, in addition to it being problematic for the reasons that Maisha already said, um, you know, they're, them checking certifications at the door is highly problematic. Um, them testing us uh, every single time we support a client um, with COVID, with the intensive COVID test is highly problematic, um, especially because most of us don't have insurance. And so, um, you know, that's an out of pocket cost. Um, and then, you know, we are, we don't have sick pay. We don't have hazard pay. Um, we, uh, don't have proper PPE. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on, you know, and how that disproportionately affects, um, people of color, but particularly black people. Um, and, and it, you know, it just, it, it sucks. And so for all those reasons, um, you know, Myla and I decided to support people virtually and also at home or in the birthing center. And we found that that's like a really happy medium, um, to give people the support that they need, um, you know, in person if they want it. Um, but I have found that virtual support, while we miss certain things about it, it's still very helpful. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think we're just taking it case by case that we have one birth that has this woman um, really, really wants our, and needs our support. And so we're making an exception there. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. what I have. How about you, Valencia? Anything to add to that? Um, I, I agree with both Maisha and Emily. Um, I also, I don't know, I'm just kind of processing it, right? Because I remember first birth that I had support coming out of quarantine and going into um, the hospital <laughs> and how much like emotional turmoil I had about it. Right. Like, I don't want anyone sticking up, you know, sticking anything up my nose. I don't want to, um, I think as a doula already, like there already is this anxiety of going into this space where most people don't really want you there. Right. And then to think of that kind of ahead of time, like, well, how are they really going to treat me now? And like, I'm really, an extra person in the room that could potentially, you know, infect everyone. Right. Um, or even going home with that, you know, um, and then just trying to find this balance. It's been, it's been difficult also because while, while I, as the doula know that there are so many other points of like working with a doula that you can benefit from, like even virtually. Right just having someone give you the information. I'm finding that folks, especially with their first baby, they're like, no, I really need the in-person. If I could have you hold me at night, kind of, you know, this is like verbatim, yes. right? Yes. If I could have you hold me at night, I would, mm -hmm. I would pay for that too. Right. You know, it's, it's like that. And, and well, you're not going to be there for the most difficult part. Right. So, and I'm like the most difficult part, that part of that is really like laboring at home with you, you know, yeah. before you even get to the delivery part, right? Um, or even just 
having the knowledge, right? Knowledge that you don't even have to go out and look for. Someone is bringing it to you on a platter and saying, look, this is what you need to know about what you're going into, right? It is trying to kind of sell that point that you're still useful, right? I'm still worthy of paying me this amount of money, even though I'm not going into this very, like, what I, I am looking at now is like a volatile space. Why would I accept violence against myself to support, like, even more so than you do as on a regular basis a doula, you know? Mm-hmm. That was a big point for me. And so I, I've not made peace with going into the hospital for almost 2000 or like a little under a little over 2000. I mean, a little over, over a thousand dollars, right? Like my life. Yeah. That, that for me was like, what if it had gone another way? And then I don't want to feel that way about my work and supporting anyone going forward because no more than I have to. Right. Yeah. I think we have this because it's, and I don't mean to go on and on, but you know, like, I think we have this in general, you know, when you're supporting someone, but, um, it's just another layer of the difficulty of being a doula yeah. in a way. Yeah. yeah. A big I way. Think, yeah. A risking kind of way. Exactly. And that, that's the big difference. Like, I think initially when they were only allowed, allowed one support person, when everything first started, we were all kind of like, okay, this isn't as bad. But the more information that we got about COVID and the effects and what was happening and going virtual and deciding to go virtual or actually when it first started was nobody was allowed in. And then it was one person was allowed in. And for the most part, everyone wanted to choose their partner. I know I had a client who she was like, I'd really want you to be there over him. And I was like, this is his child. I understand the sentiment behind it and the feelings behind it, but virtual support does help. And And a lot of my clients said that I prefer you over my husband. And at first we weren't, we were thinking, okay, yes, we'll have PPEs, we'll be protected. But then when we started realizing that, no, wait, what about the nurses and their viral loads? What about them going from room to room and coming into the room and having those conversations with clients, I found it really difficult because some of them got it. Like for the most part, Some of my clients were like, oh, definitely. No, we don't want you there. But then there were those clients who were just like, no, but you have to be there. I had one client tell me that, well, this is your job. The doctors have to be there. And I was like, I don't work for the doctor. I don't work in the hospital. And she was like, well, the nurses have to be there. And I was like, they get paid a lot more. Exactly. Exactly. And they also have insurance, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I said, well, they, they have to be there. And she's like, well, the receptionist. And I was like, again, go ahead, Emily, you want to add to that? Yeah. So, you know, as you guys know, I had COVID really early on. Right. And what I thought I had it for 51 days, like it was, it was bad. It was a bad thing like, with like pneumonia and like, mm. you know, uh, kidney infection, all that stuff. But what I found really interesting is I, I got my care through New York Presbyterian, which I would never burn that, but the care, um, for telehealth was excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. And, yes, yeah. <laughs> So 
telehealth. Um, but what I found really interesting, um, they labeled me as a nurse because of um, the birthing assistant uh, job, and they kept clearing me despite having symptoms. Oh my God. Yes. And so they would be like, you're, you know, you have not had symptoms for two days. So tomorrow you can go back to work. Right. And then the way COVID works is like, you know, you might be asymptomatic for a couple of days and then boom, you can't breathe again, you know, like, um, or boom, some, some, some new host of symptoms come along, you know? And so I found that really interesting with what you're saying about, doctors and nurses in hospital because they're also being cleared too quickly and they're coming back unknowingly or because they begrudgingly. So because they have to, um, because we're understaffed and half like a third to half of the, the, uh, staff is out already, you know, at that point because everyone was sick. Um, and so, you know, you even have like asymptomatic COVID positive doctors and nurses who are wearing PPE going from every room. And so had it happened from the, for the midwives that I work with who were like, Oh, hell no. Like you are not coming back quickly. Um, you're going to get two COVID tests and, uh, be asymptomatic, asymptomatic for 10 days. Like, you know, and take the responsible route that other countries are doing. Um, then they, I would have been, if I was working at New York Presbyterian, I would have had to come back to work. On day yeah. three. And that, that was something else that I saw that again, early on when we didn't know much about this virus and how people could get it and how long people could get it, right? They were telling people, you know, you were quarantined for 14 days. But the reality is like, I can quarantine for 14 days and then what? Then I'm cleared to come back in because I show no symptoms. And now we're seeing and we know that the that's not true. Like you could be asymptomatic, but back then, like you said, early on, people were being cleared. And again, the, the dangers of it, right? So then when the choice was taken away from us as doulas, like we are not going to be there, we all scrambled and figured out how to go virtual and figured out how that would work. Like how, how is getting the information and then translating it to your clients about being virtual? What, what what resistance did you meet, if any, or go ahead, Maisha? I'm gonna say it was always hard enough um before. Yes. Right? To convince people that this is a really important thing. And I think even those who hired us did not know really why until their birth happened, right? Um, and it's often as you know, we don't always do that thing planned, mm-hmm. right? But, and we don't know what is going to come out that's the most helpful piece of it. So, yeah, it is extra hard now to try and convince them. And, yes, the hands-on thing is great. And, no, I can't do massage and be in your face the way I could when I'm there in person. But, you know, it does mean. You know? Uh, (laughs) And we just, like, you, like... We can't have everything right now. You know what I'm saying? And um, it's besides the fact that I don't want to risk my whole family for you. I don't. I don't want to risk your whole family either. You know, because the masks are not 100%. Yes. And then are you paying for me to test and quarantine and stay in a hotel for two weeks and take out and all the 
services I would need for my family and me for me to be apart for two weeks and not take any other clients for eight weeks, right? Because that would be like the only really safe way. Exactly. Or exactly. would it be like, actually, how far apart would you have to have clients so that you wouldn't? You could only have one client a month. No, Anyone but what if that goes early and that goes late? They could be back to back. So they really have true. to be... Not just a month here, and a half it would have to be like eight weeks apart in case this one goes early yeah. and late and then they're like this, right? Yes. You'd have to like skip a whole month. Yeah. And then there's also like the last day I was in hospital was the day we got thrown out, right? But it was right an hour post birth. So, and then someone comes in, everyone get out, everyone get out. But I was there for 24 hours without a mask. Uh, Corona was out, but it hadn't yet, you know, blown up and we weren't going out yet. People did not wash their hands. And, you know, you were supposed to hand wash before. And I'm thinking, okay, this coronavirus thing is happening. I want to see now if we hand wash. And the thing is, like, so I was completely exposed and didn't know. So if the next thing happens where, okay, maybe I have on a mask and gloves or doing I won't know I'm in the first day of the surge until I've already spent 24 hours in that surge, right? And I can't predict, like, what's the high-risk thing? You know, I didn't even know I was in the high-risk thing till the end of it, right? So considering we don't know what's next, what if you're doing something you think is safe and then it turns out it's not, right? That's one of the biggest parts about this, right? Like, not... We're... I still very much feel like I'm in a space of not knowing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, like I don't sure we're getting all these reports. Right. And then it's like very conflicting information and it's constantly changing like week to week. Yeah. So just based off of that, I'm like, none of us have anything that is factual, right? This is a hundred percent. No one's going to come out next week and say, you know what? We found out that wasn't really right. Or like that wasn't really, you right. know, that was like on the lower end of the extent of this, right? I, um, that, and then just like knowing, okay, on my day to day, this is the same person. Like, Annette, I've seen you so many times, but like, I literally spent quarantine with you, right? Yes. The person that I had seen for the last however many months, but then anyway, I think that it, it kind of ties into, me being afraid of other people's bad habits pre and post coronavirus, right? Or pre and, and during yeah. um, the, the not hand washing, but also people not understanding that the hospital is just not a safe place. Mm-hmm. This is why I feel more, you know, I've had the question like, why are you, why are you doing the home birth? You're going to be around people too. And I'm like, listen, there is so much, there's so many other things you could catch in the hospital yeah. also on top of coronavirus, right? And then it's just, I've never been to a home birth where I feel like I don't have, like, like it's hard to make my place here, right? Yeah. I'm part of this team, very much a part of this team, you know? And it's, when you're in the hospital, it's a totally different experience. And not it's always, and miss. you know? No, I, but it is hit yeah. and miss. There are times it's great in the hospital. And with this whole thing too, I was like, you know what? I'm tired of being treated horribly in a hospital you know and it's not all the time I've had great hospital births 
great staff and all that. But just the way they're set up, the way you can't lie down in most places. And not just us, but what about partners and, you know, grandparents? I'm like, this is evil. You know we're going to be here a while. Why can't you just be human and let everyone have a space to lay down? You know? Mount Sinai East. Can we can we talk about that? And then <laughs> they make a couch, you know, outside just too short for any average size person to lie down comfortably. It's just going to be yeah. like that two-seater. You can't be a three-seater, so maybe you could lie down. The armrest going to be hard. You know, they make it. You can't sleep. I feel I, like that's very intentional. They, it they is. It is. They don't want us there. They don't want families there. They don't want birthing people there. I know. But you know, that's also something that I often, I often talk about a lot prenatally too. I don't know where this phenomenon came from, and I know it came from a movie. Like I yes. can remember, there's a movie with Steve Martin and a whole gang of family of people, and there was a birth, and like. 30 people showed up for this child's birth. And I don't know why everyone wants to come to the hospital. But then mm-hmm. we, as we know, as doulas, two months postpartum, she can't find anybody. Yeah. But everyone wants to show up yeah. to pick mm-hmm. up instead of just being like, no, no, we don't need you here for this. We need you mm-hmm. later. But mm-hmm. everyone wants to come to the hospital and the hospital wants to seem like it's a welcoming place, like you said. But we, but we know the truth that they're not. And I was there at the beginning of COVID too. I had a birth and this is when they were talking about wash your hands. And I've known from experience, I already bring my own soap because that soap that they have mm-hmm, there mm-hmm. is just outrageous on my skin. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it is. And so I'm washing my hands. The doctor walked in and sat on top of the garbage can and put his hands on the side of the garbage like this. I got up and washed my hand three times. My client was like this because I was like, well, maybe he'll see me and then maybe he'll understand that he shouldn't be touching the goddamn garbage or sitting on it because we know that once they sit on it, they're going to sit on the bed. And I was just like, and then he he walked out and she was like, you really, you, you're really serious about this hand washing thing. And I couldn't turn around and tell her what you didn't see your doc, what your doctor just did. Did I know walk into the room. And you sanitizer? No. Did he okay. when he walked out? Did well, he? I'm I'm gonna call out Cornell. I'm gonna call names. I was in Cornell triage recently. I had my clients there. I went in to wash my hands. You know when a sink hasn't been turned on in so long that it sputters. It sputters and the brown stuff comes yes. out, oh, and it has to run for a while. Mm-hmm. That happens. <sighs> See, cesspools. I, you know, I know, I know that with like coronavirus, right? Like they've been sending folks home a little bit earlier, right? You know, like they yes. get 24 yes. hours. I'm like, this is a great thing, you guys. Like if you, yes. you can get out of there 24 hours, get the hell out and go home, right? Mm-hmm. We literally have just been so indoctrinated in so many ways around this whole hospital experience that we're not even considering these things, right? Like, we think it's a bad thing that someone is sending me home. Like, they're putting me in jeopardy, you know? And I'm like, if you could go home after 10 hours, go home. Go home. Go ahead, Emily. You were going to say something. 
I, I'd like to counter that a little bit, actually. Sure. Um, because, you know, with only 7% of people in New York City getting doulas, most people, especially Black people <laughs> that are being transferred out early, um, are transferring no one. No doula, no midwife, right? And so when we have like a like a home birth transfer or birth center transfer, they're still getting midwifery care. And I'm like, send those people home, right? Like, um, but hospitals, like you get a C-section, you're sent home the next day. You don't know what's normal, what's not normal. Mm-hmm. You're left with no care. You're left with yeah. no support you're you're passing blood clots and you don't know and then you can't reach anybody because covid you know like so i feel like while maternal mortality was high before at 12 times the the rate in new york city than our white counterparts you know i feel like this is why we're falling through the cracks in Mm -hmm. particular and like you know yeah you know Mm -hmm. and i i get that but also we're looking at they weren't getting, they weren't going home to anyone before and they weren't getting support in the hospital. The hospital mm-hmm, doesn't mm-hmm, necessarily mm-hmm. mean support, right? Because right? Right. as we're seeing now, we're seeing my biggest concern, one of my biggest concerns, but what I'm seeing now is even less support around breastfeeding moms and most moms right, want to right, breastfeed. Right. And now I have to say that nurse has to get that baby on. You have to talk to that nurse and ask that nurse to get the baby on. Mm-hmm. But even with that, they're going home or if the lactation counselor comes in, they're still being sent home with no support. And they may not even have been helped by the lactation yes. counselor. Yeah. yeah. We know that's very much scripted most right <laughs> yeah yeah but emily in hospital births i mean home births because you you were talking well, when valencia said you know home births are a space how are you seeing those spaces now with covid what differences are happening there as a doula as both a doula and as a, an assistant a birth assistant um, I mean, it, it's interesting talking about uh, the cesspool of hospitals because the home birth, you know, while we know it's the safest place to give birth um, because it's like your own germs and environment, um, you know, coming to other people's homes, we're able to take additional precautions that we wouldn't be able to take in the hospital, um, like... Um, like sanitizing all of our stuff before we walk in, like putting it on a trash bag by the door and not moving it um, from there, um, like changing our clothes immediately or even showering, <laughs> you know, like wearing masks and we have PP like E, thankfully, uh, which was a problem and still a problem for many people. But but uh, with small things grow, it's good. Um, and yeah, like obviously we're able to wash our hands and there's no pitter patter of like (laughs) residue coming out. (laughs) Um, and we're able to like lay out on couches or beds and rest and nourish ourselves and eat and get food delivered and, you know, just provide better care because we're also sustained and okay. Um, it's hard to keep your mask on for that long. Um, you know, but uh, there's balance in it too, and and I have to say because I had COVID in the past, I have I carry some privilege that I'm thankful for too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you know, I also want to talk to 
to the financial aspect of it, where where Valencia brought up finances and Maisha, you brought up Mm -hmm. finances and people having to go into the hospital. I know that Metro Doula Group had a talk where they had all of these doulas on and there was one doula who worked at, I believe it was Mount Sinai West, and she worked, I think, in supply and she said something to the effect of like, listen, people, please don't go into the hospital. I work there. And she brought up the fact that she got COVID and they wanted to clear her a lot sooner. And she was like, I'm not going back in there. I'm not even on a floor with, I'm doing supplies and I got COVID. So that having to go back to work and facing the financial hardship, like, what do you, what do you, what are you feeling? And what are you experiencing from other doers of what they've told you about? Like how not having clients because people want people to go in with that. Anyone wants to go first? It's hard in a lot of ways. For my own, just, you know, personal, I miss the work, you know. I could be in a bad mood and then I go meet with clients and I'm in a great mood. Like, I don't just do the work for pay. It's who I am and it really makes me happy. Now we're in a global crisis and I can't even do this, that thing I love, you know, and that I don't have a career anymore, you know? <laughs> so it's yeah. just like super shit show, right? And then like maybe I could make more if some people weren't putting us all at risk. I mean, hospital birth, you're exposed to every single person in that hospital. There are vectors galore, you know, it's just like, like, Come on, people in and out of rooms, elevators, hallways, bathrooms. You only need a little bit of imperfect PPE to hit so many people, you know. So I think it's absolutely horrible. A lot of us are financially in a horrible place and, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so... So, um, I mean, I think, thankfully, I think that my birth clients that I already had signed, none of them asked for refunds. And I was really thankful for that because I saw other doulas, um, getting hit hard with that. And I think that's because, um, you know, as a seasoned doula, like I've gotten really picky about my clients and they're all laid back. (laughs) So, um, you know, I think we were all just trying to do our best while recognizing like, you know, we can't, it it, was, it wouldn't be right to ask for refunds and, and when everyone's just trying to survive um, in that moment. I did have a white couple that we were signed up for um, for three months postpartum ask for 6,000 back and that was a huge hit to all of us. Um, and I felt some type of way, but I also tried to understand that like, they, one of them had lost their job. Like they had just had like two babies. Like it was, it was a lot. So I, yeah. you know, my team was like, it's going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> cause I was, I was pissed. Um, but you know, I think that, you know, I applied for 33 grants, um, you know, once I recovered, um, from COVID and, um, I also applied for PUA, like, the first week of April and, you know, I hadn't heard back for months on anything. And so when I got, I came home, I remember, and I got like a letter 
saying like that I didn't qualify uh, for PUA, which I knew was an error. (laughs) I knew it was an error, (laughs) but I was so frustrated that like I spent the next four hours working on a GoFundMe because I was like, fuck them. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do it that way, (laughs) you know? And, um, so, you know, I'm very fueled by community and I think that we have everything that we need, um, you know, already within us. And so I was like, I know people have money that they want to (laughs) give, you know, and we're asking the wrong people and, you know, um, and, and I was, I was really thankful because people really showed out and like we raised 17,000 in a week, you know, in less than a week. Um, and so that was a really big, uh, turning point for us because then, then we were able to kind of like walk back into like abundance and be like, okay, like now we're okay for the next, you know, couple of months. And, um, we can take clients that actually need our support that are having to decide between paying their rent and hiring a doula. And we don't even have to mess with the rest of the requests because, you know, we can serve our community. So um that that's been our situation that was a good thing i know i had a client past client who reached out to me not just with you know thoughts and prayers like i got from so many people but she was like do you have a venmo and i was like uh you know it's hard to be like uh yeah i do to accept that from someone and she sent me some money and she was like i hope this helps and then I sat there and I was like, well, do I really, what can I do? Right. Because she was so generous and I turned around and gave some of that money, most of that money away to other people who I knew were in need too, because I was already doing that. I was like, I have X, I can do Y. Okay. Let me do that. But I know that there are so many doulas out there who aren't fortunate to have those clients and are really struggling right now with this work. And now we're looking at, one reimagining doula work, like we've, we're re- reimagining so many things, but realistically reimagining doula work. And like you mentioned, Maisha, people who are going into hospitals, there's only 5% of births in New York that are attended by doulas, as the last survey was what, over 10 years ago that mm-hmm. they did that survey? Um, but that's still a small amount in comparison to births that we have in New York. But then financially, it affects like 95% of doulas, especially doulas of color. Mm-hmm. And even turning around and saying to our counterparts, like, hey, we need you support. We don't, I don't, I don't need you to sit up here and pretend to be ally and allyship and put a black post on your Instagram. <laughs> we need true allyship yeah. and what that looks like. And true allyships, I think it's Shishi Rose that, that's, mm-hmm. that's telling people they need to pay reparations. Mm-hmm. And pay us mm-hmm. reparations like you know and pay us because I've always had this it's not a stigma it's a it's a anger when someone is asking someone to work for free stop asking mm-hmm. people to work for free and stop asking black people to work for free yeah. so now we're in this situation where we are reimagining how this work is going to look and already being hit financially and then on top of that people are still asking for discounts like have any of you encountered people who come across and be like, well, since you're not going into the hospital, why don't you like half your rate and not understanding the true work that we're going into? Valencia? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know what? Um, 
this year, this year was actually really crazy for me, like from January. Um, dual work is really interesting. I started off with like covering a doula and then her coming back from vacation really early and being like, oh, well, the family would like for me to pick this up, right? That was like hit number one. Like, whoa, after I blocked out, you know, this time. But then going into going, I think I had contracts like about to be signed for postpartum, right? For like spring. And then this coronavirus thing came out and people were like, you know what? We just don't know what we're moving into. So that just, that it started off that way. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there was this like, uh, okay, I've been working with you for the past seven months. Right. And like using your service, but you know what? You're not going to be there for the hospital. So like, I shouldn't even have to pay you almost a thousand dollars more, right. That I owe you. Um, I was trying to like, I was trying to like settle that in my mind. Like, okay. It's, it's one thing for like someone to come to me and say, you know what? I lost my job or my partner lost their job. And like, this is what's happening. And can we work something out or can, you know, I don't know, work something out some kind of way, right? But instead of like telling me your service is not worth this because things changed, right? That was one of the hardest hits, but also I'm just finding myself having to sell my work more like what and I'm in like even dropping my fees. I have people like down to the hour. So, mm -hmm. so how much is it per prenatal visit? And I'm like, there is no per prenatal visit. It's not an a la carte service, right? Postpartum. Sure. Like we can do that. Right. But this is a birth package, right? Like you get the time that I'm actually spending with you, but the time that I'm answering your texts, your phone calls, um, the time that I'm on call for you, the time that I'm spending, putting together packages for you or, making sure that you have what you need for the postpartum. Um, all these things that you do kind of like behind the scenes that go unnoticed and people are questioning whether or not all of that is worth that, right? I don't know. I just ask for honesty in the beginning, right? Like if you, if you know you're going to have a tough time paying for this, let me know. And then let me have a chance to work with you, right? Because that's, I'm going to service my community however I can. You know, I've taken birds for one fifty for zero dollars, even though I'm going across the toll bridge. How many times to see you for prenatal and postpartum visits? You know, but don't do the pick apart my service and tell me what you think is worth what. You know, if that's the case, go look for another service. You know, that fits that right. Um, I've definitely had that though. Just trying to like find a balance between understanding that people are going through a hard time also, but then being a single woman in New York city and knowing that I have to pay my rent in New York exactly. city. Right. I don't, I'm not <laughs> getting extra services. Um, and then just being there for people. I don't know if I even answered that question, but that was, yeah, you did. Of that. <laughs> Emily, do you want to have anything you want to add to that? 
No, it just made me laugh because I, I flashed back to the memories of like people being like, you know, looking at the contract and being like, herbs, we don't need those postpartum. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, like stupid shit like that. That's like, <laughs> I'm just much, you know, like one prenatal visit and you show up like at the end of the delivery. <laughs> yeah. Like, the, the, and I'm like, that's not how this works. That's, no, it's not. not. It's not. But also like, don't short yourself. You know what I yeah. mean? You can afford it. You say you can't afford it, and then let me figure out whether or not I can afford it. You, right? Yeah. Um, that is definitely experience. I think also has had. Well, what is some of the feedback that you're getting from the clients that you're supporting virtually? Would like to go for. I. I was just gonna say there's so much good and value in Herschel's support. Um, if we would all agree to only do Herschel's support, and as you said, such a tiny percent of people have us, right? So if we did virtual support and everyone was doing Herschel support, I could charge a lot more because I could take a lot more clients. I'm thinking first I could do like eight a month right? So I could charge less and do more. We all could, right? So there's plenty of births out here and there's plenty of doulas. So like if you could, if we, I don't know if I'm explaining this, if we all did virtual births, oh yeah, and then clients would tell their friends like, this is great, this is great, this is great. Maybe we could get the majority of people, right? Instead of like this tiny five percent or two percent the majority of people and there'd be such a price range and you know i think a lot of us are much happier to slide if i don't have to get out of bed right like i could do eight to ten a month if i don't have to get out of bed hop in a cab right and you can go two at a time right i'll put you on this app and the other one on this app right like it could really potentially hook us all up um, as far as what clients are saying, I had someone who we met right when this began, so she ended up not hiring me. I was like, fine. But we still talked a lot. And after the birth, she sent me some cash just here. She says, just the, the info was helpful. I was not on for her birth, but she said the prep was so helpful because she's like, I want this, this, and that. And I was like, that's not going to happen. You know, and she just just the fact that I already told her that her hospital dream is not happening, it's not happening now, helped her go into that birth more prepared and, you know, positive. So it really is more helpful than anyone can imagine. I agree with the point of uh, normalizing it, right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's how we get people to be on board and kind of see the value in it. I think that that's going to take time. And maybe it is a collective effort amongst mm -hmm. doulas. Emily, you want to add anything? Um, I had a birth early on who, when she, when her partner, she went in with her partner. They went in very early and, um, she wound up having an all around bad experience. Her husband didn't do a good job of like calling me enough. I'm texting, but they were dealing with a lot in the hospital as well. And it wasn't until after when I went postpartum and spoke with her that 
you know, hearing part of her story of like, you know, no, the nurses weren't in the room as much, which, you know, on some aspects can be good for us when we're there as doulas, um, because we can fill in that void. But she was like, they would call and no one would come. And when they would come, they would seem bothered. You know, this is a client of color. Um, and her epidural wasn't working well and they, they topped her off. They kept topping her off and topping her off. And her husband was like, I don't think the machine was working. And no one listened to him or her. Um, and then come to find out the machine had malfunctioned and stopped working. And so that fell through the cracks. And then she wound up getting a C-section um, for failure to progress. And it just, it just seemed like everything snowballed. And then I had a client who um, went in for an induction and we were on WhatsApp like every 10 minutes or 20 minutes. And she found that and she, in the end, ultimately had a C-section as well, but just so vastly different experiences where I think that sometimes people think that I'm in this, I don't need to call my doula and deal with this and not understanding how even a phone call is still helpful, even though I'm not physically in the room. Like I had a client who was supposed to contract with me and hasn't contracted with me. And she, and when I told her, I was like, I'm not going into the hospital. It's just not safe. Not really under, she, she was like, well, who's going to hold my life? No, I'm joking, but seriously, who's going to hold my life? And I was like, did you really just say this? <laughs> like, you know, again, it's like where on one hand I have to kind of hold decorum, but on the other hand, I could call like you guys and be like, what the fuck? I've been reduced to that. I'm a leg holder. Like that's, that's what, that's what I can be for you. But really it's more than that. Yeah. I think that's part of it though. That this is what I was going to say. This is that left me. It's like, um, I have, I have clients that I don't need to sell them the service that they're asking for. Right. They know. Um, and not that they even know what it fully entails because no one will know unless you actually have the service. Right. Or maybe because you are a doula, but then you even have your own spin on this, right? But those who value the information or having someone that they can call as like the ultimate resource, right? Because we're not just, we work independently. We are our own companies, right? But then the networks that we have, I can call someone in California if I wanted to. I can call a doula in Missouri if I wanted to, you know? I can call a midwife up the street you know, or down in Georgia. So it's like, uh, or even, you know, being connected to these other practitioners, but do they value the service already or are they just in it because someone else told them you should do this thing, right? I find that those people tend to be the ones that are dissatisfied too because they don't even see the value in what's happening, right? That someone mm -hmm. prepared to answer your every beckoning call, right? Or to answer the phone for you at three, four o'clock in the morning or to give you other talking points or the language to discuss with your provider, you know, um, I think it makes a difference. You know, I've, I've had interviews recently where folks are like, you don't even have to explain why you're not going into the hospital. Like I wouldn't either, you know, and I, that's fine. That's your price point. Okay, great. I'll work with that. Others are like, you know, still again, they just don't understand 
or they feel like we're supposed to do it all. I don't know. I don't know who created this like superhuman doula persona that we're all supposed to live up to. I know. Yeah. I mean, we are, but not how they think exactly. we are. Right. Yes. Right. You know, like I had this birth and it was a home birth and the client was postpartum, bleeding, bleeding, bleeding. So we decided to transfer her. So I had a friend that had a home, that had a client in her apartment building who had extra milk. So we coordinated her pumped milk to give to her infant who was home while we transferred to the hospital. Right? Like that's having friends all over the place who said, let me help you. In the hospital, they were like, like, so we did um, hit at home and we did all this stuff at home and it wasn't like a fast bleed. I'm like, is the hemorrhage is not, but she was still bleeding, right? So we're there, we're in ER and whoever this, you know, nurse talked to, we're like, well, let's just see. Let's just wait and see. I'm like, she is seven hours postpartum. And has not stopped bleeding. We did pit. We did massage. Something's going on. We did wait. And we saw she's still bleeding. I was like, put her out. Go up there and find out what's going on. (laughs) Like, and it's the same thing I would say, say on the phone. Like, no, 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 This is not okay. Yeah. You know, and you think like, I'm the one who's going to say stand back. And I'm like, intervene. Mm -hmm. Intervene. Now, what happened was when we found out when they did, you know, put her out and had inside, she had a torn cervix, which at home we couldn't check because it was just painful, right? So, you know, I, like, like prior to this, people would ask me the things I bring to the birth or what I was planning to bring to the birth. And my answer is, I don't know. You know, like, I, I really don't know. Me? You know, me and like, it's great. I don't have a plan, right? Yep. If I only had eight things or even if I had a hundred things, it may not be the thing that you need. You know, I'm going to show up and pay attention to what you need at that point. Mm -hmm. Right? Emily? I love that you brought that up because now whenever I see, there's this famous doula, I, I forget what her name is. She's like white and she posted this picture with like, three suitcases and I was like I know what? she's brand new because we don't be doing yeah, that exactly. <laughs> your three suitcases and their ten suitcases no. and the ball no. and no and the no. pillow like no no like you know but it really I, I commented on it too like you know I, it depends what mood I'm in you know but like I was like <laughs> I was like what are you doing yes. um so that made me laugh because you're right. Like, you know, uh, as we gain more experience, our bags are all for us mm-hmm. and nothing for and them. Because, yeah. yeah. People can't, I, I think that's, that's the hardest thing for people to understand is like the most important thing is me and my hands, right? Like Valencia, you were showing your hands. Exactly. Exactly. Me, what I bring, my experience, what I know. Mm-hmm. And like you said too, Maisha, who I know too, because I yeah. know that if something is going on when I'm at home, like I had a birth one time where it seemed like it was moving really fast. And because I'm in community with doulas, I know that I could be like, this isn't right. We're not going to make it. They live in Brooklyn. This is actually how I met Mm -hmm. (laughs) Maisha. 
I had my client. She called me and, and was in labor. And when I was heading to them, I was at on Grand Army Plaza. And her husband called me and was like, I see hair. And I was like, fuck. And I was like, oh, okay, call your doctor. Got him off the phone, called a midwife. Maisha was birth assisting for the midwife at the time. It was my and first I, day out with her. First day out. <laughs> and I called and I was like, um, Marcy, they see hair. This is where I am. And she said, okay. You're going to catch this baby. I'm going to come, but you're going to, ca- and I was like, I'm not catching anybody's I baby. I was, I was not for that. I was like, I'm, I was like, I need you to come. And she was like, I'm coming, but you're closer. And if this is what's happening, this is what you're going to do. And I was arguing with her the whole way to the client's house. And she was like, I will stay on the phone with you. In the background, I heard her cursing. I heard cars swerving. She is cursing traffic and saying, support the perineum. Yes. And telling me to telling call me- her other clients. We're not going to be there. Yes. <laughs> and so I've run into this home and run upstairs. And sure enough, this baby's head was peeking out in hair. And I'm like, fuck. And Marcy's like, breathe. Wear your gloves. <laughs> And I get my gloves and she's like, support the perineum. And the husband had set up a, 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 a recorder and was recording the whole thing in the corner. And I'm like, and as soon, like the baby just, I just put my hands there and the baby came out. And as soon as the baby came out, Marcy came running up the stairs and I couldn't have like passed that baby off quick enough. I'm like, I'm out of here, not doing this. And it worked out, but I knew that because I had been in community with other doulas and heard like when things go left, call a midwife that you know, just in case, because they're, they're here to help. This is what being in community is about. And I think that a lot of people don't understand that when we talk about what I bring to a birth is way more than I could list in a contract. Right. Valencia, you were going to say something earlier. Way more than you could list in a contract. I can tell you, just like as a doula, I think that it, it just kind of goes along with my like general nature. You know, like, I don't know, I'm very chill, very calm. I might be screaming on the inside sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, we're all screaming on the yeah. inside. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, it's just, I don't know. It's such an invaluable service. I don't, I've even, I mean, birth and postpartum. I was laughing with, um, I had one postpartum family that I've worked with. Thanks, Annette, for bringing them to me because they were your birth clients. They were amazing. um, When I tell you, it was like, it was such a special time supporting them, right? But I remember the husband walking in and I was re-twisting my client's locks. And I was like, you know what? I need to add this to my service, right? (laughs) <laughs> Reach with locks, <laughs> does hair, <laughs> but it um, we just kind of like laughed and joked. Like it's just one of those things that you know you have no idea what you could possibly bring to any one family's experience. You know, um, and again, it's not all written the contract. I wear we wear too many hats. You know, we wear so many hats like. I've gone to support 
the new baby and you have another mm-hmm. little baby growing a tantrum. But I also have mm-hmm. experience working with little people, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like, uh, I just wish that people could see it in that way. And I know that my friends do, right? And I'm sure that many of you have the same experiences, you know, like your friends knowing that you're the one to call when they're sick, right? Um, or pregnant or, you know, whatever. Um, I just, I think that this process of like normalizing having a doula and the support um, will take time. And if we keep talking about it, maybe that's part of the battle, right? Like really getting the information out there. Um, and even more so from the clients, right? Because it's best to hear it from the horse's mouth, right? What was your experience with this? And what did you get out of this, even without maybe the in-person support that you think is the most valuable piece, right? Um, who knows? That's my hope over time. You know? Yeah. Emily, you were going to add something to that? I was just going to say that 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 really speaks to the intentionality of community, right? And like how um, this concept of a doula is not new, right? Like (laughs) the Greek word might be new. The organizations might be new, right? Like, but... They locked, like our community filled in the spaces that we needed, whether that was tea or childcare or, uh, locking someone's hair or washing their dishes or, you know, cooking for them. Like this notion of like, I can't catch your baby because I'm a doula or I can't give you herbs, you know, um, postpartum or a tincture or, um, you know, I don't know, go out of whatever scope it is that we're doing. That's not in our contract is bullshit, you know, like, cause that's just not how we practice. And I think in New York, especially we have to be particularly, uh, intentional about building that, um, as doulas, because, um, you know, most people are like, well, you have to, like, tell, tell us what the contract entails and tell us what you're going to do. But you're right. Like, I, you know, we become their sisters and their friends. And we might be in and out in such a sacred time and, and not continue the relationship, but it's still very special and, um, intentional and, um, divinely guided, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, most people don't know anything about birth. So how could they know about birth support? And even if they've had a birth themselves or been to maybe a sister or whatever, they still really don't know birth. Like the skills we bring, I'm sure we could all bring like this ridiculously long list. You know, I was thinking of this birth I had once and they call me, you know, at night. She's three to five minutes apart, da da da. So I like, Come over, I see her, and I'm like, she's early. I don't say anything. I get her off the ball. She's all like, Dish, she's doing her thing. She's who enough for patience. She's got her music on. I'm like, turn it up. Get in the bed. <laughs> and the husband's like, how did you do that? Because she's like, sleep. Like, I put some, you know, pillows, turn off the lights, and we sleep the night. I didn't even say anything. I didn't massage her. I was like, good night. 
She had the birth the next night. It was great. She wanted it how free it was and, you know, all those things. Had she stayed up all night, we all know that would not have happened. And she would have probably gone to the hospital early, you know, thinking this was really happening. And she's like one centimeter and just too hyped up. You know, so there's things like that. You know what one of, um, I don't, I don't want to call this a burden, but it feels burdensome. Our work is literally countering a system, mm-hmm. like a system and that, that feels incredibly heavy. Um, and here we are trying to normalize something that is normal. <laughs> that is like, this is like basic practice, right? Again, right, this having community, this being there for each other, and here we are having to say, like, no, but, like, this is what you should have, right? Because we're counseling the normalization of trauma, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, and and then it's, um, and when I, I mean, like, so normalized, I know we've all seen these things, right? Like, um, a client having a C-section, and then they give a reason, like, the baby's hand was like on their face like this. Like there's no way you would have ever had, you know, like Penny would give birth. Or the cord on the neck. Right? Yeah. Or like the cord around the neck. Yes. And the person goes home with that. Like that is a satisfactory answer to a major abdominal surgery that you actually didn't have to have because that's normal. <laughs> right. Or a C-section wasn't so bad. And I'm like, whatever you have to do to make it feel better for you, right? Yes, it's processing trauma. But, and and that, and hearing that from people, knowing what it is, it's, um, I've had so many points as a duel, like, I'm like, damn, I really feel sad for this person because they don't even know what they experience unnecessarily just now, right? Or having to, like, settle on an answer like that because maybe their partner was the reason why they got the C-section. You know, it's it's having to counter this entire system of like it's normal to go and be in this very dirty place and have people talk to you, and if you challenge that, mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. counter it, and then you know, make you feel like you're incapable, all while like I don't know, you know. Yeah, yeah, we see a lot of trauma, and they'll make an excuse for it, like you know. I have one I have one have have on my mind and he'll be really hurt his and it was traumatic and we were still, you know, in touch and she says, you know, she really appreciates that he did what he had to do. And I'm like, I don't think he had to do it quite like that. You know, he really physically hurt and that's just not okay. Yeah. I was just thinking more about this like doula superwoman complex, right? Mm-hmm. Or super superhero complex, mm-hmm. right? For inclusivity. Um, and the fact that I think that and, and Valencia and I just recently spoke about this, like I think that something that COVID has brought that's beautiful that's been birthed out of this is like more accountability, you know? Mm-hmm. And and also like as I'm getting older, like I'm just getting gullier about my responses to Some people. Information, yes. Yeah, because like, you know, this idea that like, well, I, you know, this is like the standard uh, inquiry, as you guys know, like, well, I definitely don't want a C-section and I don't want an epidural, but I'm going to NYU and 
they said that I can have an unmedicated birth. And I'm like, no, sis, like, that's just, it's not, you know, 97% epidural rate, 45% C-section rate. Like, let's talk about the actual facts. You know, I can't, <laughs> no matter can't what, save doula, you from that. Like, yeah, no doula can save you from that. But you also, know. if you don't feel safe anymore and yeah. you don't, you don't feel not, or you don't feel safe birthing in the hospital, then why are you birthing in the hospital? And then why are you hiring me so that we can, you know, do this, 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 uh, tactic of staying home as long as possible, but, but you're getting pressure like two weeks before that to induce and your baby might die and all this crap. And, you know, it, it's just, I feel like now, you know, the thing that, that I say now is I'm like, yo, you're, you're ordering pizza at a Japanese restaurant. Like it yeah. just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work. And I, we have I, to be real about that, about, that, you know, like, yeah, I, I think, I think that's the biggest part for me too, is telling people of, again, like pizza at a Japanese restaurant. I, I have a girlfriend who says, you don't go to the hardware store for oranges. And I tell people that all the time. I had someone contact me three weeks before her due date to try to have a VBAC with a doctor who is not VBAC friendly, who is not going to give her that VBAC. And I was just, I read the, I read her intake form and I was just like, what? And heard that I've had a lot of VBAC experience. And I'm like, yeah. And in my mind, I was like, I'm not Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. This is three weeks mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. your due date. Mm-hmm. And your doctor, when I, I had to speak to her, I couldn't even write her. I had to call her to find out, like, you know, what, what are you trying to do? And she, she was like, well, my doctor said I can have a VBAC. And I was like, how is she supporting you on that? And she was like, well, every time I go in, she asks me if I still want to do the, if I still want to do a VBAC. I said, your doctor's not VBAC supportive if she keeps asking you that. I said, well, will your doctor induce you if you go past your due date? And how far past your due date is she letting you go? And she's like, I think she will. I was like, you think? You haven't had this conversation and you're three weeks from your due date? And how far past your due date is she going to let you go? And are you okay with that? And then when I inquired about the first, the reason for the first, um, the first C-section with the same doctor was the baby was breech, but then flipped. So we had the section because it was on the box. I've I've had that happen. What can that you it, do? I can't that it flip and we're still doing the C section. I, I I can't do anything with you. <laughs> I can't I really can't help you. I really cannot help you and I'm not gonna put myself through that with you because it is trauma, you know? You And fear. And fear. Yes. A lot of fear. The whole care though is so off when I had a home birth and I got really good care right and after a few I was towards the end and I asked them why they hadn't ever checked me internally right because usually you have all these checks so like we know you got one we know it works um is there a problem I was like, no, I'm fine. They're like, then you're fine. You know, and for my home birth, she didn't touch my vagina until I was crowning. You know, and like, really, there's no reason for her to put her hands in me 
You know what I mean? And they're like, why is everyone getting all these pelvic exams? Why are you poking all these vaginas? What are you looking for? What are you doing? And we accept this care. And for my first, I was like, yeah, you got to go in there, right? Like, what are you looking for? What are you doing? You don't have to go in there. Now, and like they said, if you have an issue, tell us, please. I'm like, no, I'm fine. They're like, we trust you to assess your own vagina and tell us it's fine. And please do tell us if you feel it's not fine. I'm like, I feel fine. They're like, good. You know, I, I peed in a cup. They check my pressures and my blood work and all that. But there was no reason to post my vagina so, so wide. You know what I mean? So we don't even know. Like, we don't, like, the care we accept is just obscene. It's just obscene. And even during the birth, like, it doesn't matter how dilated you are. It doesn't matter. He still came out. I've been, you know, with COVID and even before COVID, reimagining birth. And your, what is your top five ways you are reimagining how birth can look moving forward? Go ahead, Alicia. <laughs> I know everyone does not feel okay with home birth, and that's fine. And not everyone wants to feel the pain, and that's fine. It hurts a lot. So, places where we give birth need to be physically not attached to the hospital where people go who are sick. Even before this, I came home from birth and did my hazmat routine because it's a house of germs. And there's no reason for healthy people to go into house of germs and their partners and their families and their parents this is done. Birth is not an illness. You know what I mean? So I want a separate physical building and you can still have VOR and all this stuff just you shouldn't walk through the doors that sick people walk through with skin eating bacteria and staph infections and all the other things we had before and now this as well. Um, Myla and I are launching um, like a free childbirth series um, called Take Your Power Back, which I want to nice. call Take Your Fucking Power Back. Yeah. Because <laughs> she, she doesn't like that I curse so much. <laughs> she has people to answer to. I do not. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'd really like to see our people take their agency back. You know, take their power back, take their information back. You know, all this information is available, um, but people don't know where to look. And so they walk into these systems like, you know, without information, full consent, protection, like, you know, um, knowing their rights. Like, so I really, I, I really hope people receive the calling to take that power back. Yeah. I agree. I would like to see that in a high school. I'd like to see that before they get pregnant. Like that's one of my things I always feel. Um, I feel that um, needs to happen is that we need to have this information before women get pregnant. And then it's like nine months to figure this out yeah. and navigate this system. And they can't. It's not enough time. And we're trying to get them to change providers and dealing with insurance. So my top is like, definitely, yes, education is key and early. And as we said, um, we were saying earlier, um, before you got on the call, we were talking with my producer and I said, too, we'd like to, you know, 
to have people before they get married so we can say, don't spend the $12,000 on flowers. Like, that's unnecessary. Don't have 500 people at your wedding. It's unnecessary. Save some of that money so you can, one, hire a doula, but two, when your job that's not going to pay you for, they're only going to give you six weeks or eight weeks, that you can have that income already saved so you can stay home for six months if you choose to on your long-term disability and still have that money saved. And then also, too, your care. Why are we going to the hardware store for oranges when we should be seeing midwives? And if there's if there's something special, then they can refer out. If you're low risk, mm-hmm. uh, agency, and also informing more people, right? Because I, I hear, Valencia um, stepped away for a second, but no, it was another doula who said her her client's husband was like, "Why do I need to hire you when my grandmother? You you don't have any babies, and my grandmother has had babies, and she could be there, like, and just like really not understanding why we need to be there." Um, and I shouldn't have to walk in and prove to you why I need to be here for, for your wife. So um, that's how I'd like to reimagine mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this moving forward. Valencia, how would you like to reimagine for moving forward? And then we're wrapping up. What would you reimagine? Um, more supportive, more supportive birth partners. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, with the understanding that this is your birth too. That you do have the power to change some of this outcome, um, and really make this, you know, um, the life-changing event that it is, um, but in a positive way. And then also, um, I I understand that like not everyone um, is eligible or wants to have a home birth, right? Um, but I think that a part of, a part of like the taking back your agency over your body, right? Or just exercising autonomy is, um, not, there's one thing specifically that I'm thinking of and it's not choosing your first birth experience to be a traumatic one ahead of time. Yeah. Like. I'm just going to go, like, this is my first baby, so I feel like I should have it in the hospital. And I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I would agree. Yeah. Like, I would agree. You know, I get folks that ask me, like, well, where would you have your baby? And I'm like, not in the hospital. You know? So I have no idea what birth things feel like. I'm, I, can't, I can't even speak to that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I have no idea what my clients have gone through in that realm. Right? But I... If I were treating cancer patients, I don't need to have had cancer to be able to support you in this or to tell you what I know around it. You know, yeah. it, um, it's interesting yeah. to think of us and what we know about certain But anyway, that that piece, right? Like just choosing better for ourselves um, from the get go. From the get go, it just has a okay. this one lasting thing. Like you get one shot. At this child, this birth, this experience for you, I would want to do everything in my power to make sure that it's a positive one, because it's not just my my birth experience, but my baby's, yeah, you know, exactly. my birth experience and these things have to form 
parents, you know, so. Yeah, they really yeah. don't know birth, and they really don't know that the best place for the majority of the time is home. Yeah, exactly. I often say when I get, when I used to, when I was a doula before I had um, my son, and someone would say, well, you haven't had a baby. And I was like, 100% of male OBs have never had babies. Right. And so, there you have it. Consider that. <laughs> Thank you so much, ladies, for your time. This was great. I, 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 re- I think I need to do this more often. I this really was great. Yeah. yeah, hearing from all of you and your perspectives. Thank you, my Isha, Emily, and Valencia for being on our show. I appreciate you, ladies, and I hope to see you soon. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Enjoy your day. Bye. Bye. We'll talk soon. Gracias. Thanks for listening to the Clear Birth Podcast. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. You can find me on Instagram at the Clear Birth Podcast. If you want to send me an email, you can reach me at the Clear Birth Podcast at gmail.com. Adios. Hasta luego. Goodbye. Until next time.